So James, like I said, James has challenged us uh, to be a people of action. Uh, James tells us that faith without works is dead. So he's very direct about this, that, that faith is not just something that's here, that's where it begins, but it's also something that gives, gets lived out in our lives. And, you know, before we dive into the book of James, I want to ask you a question. Honestly, it's kind of a deep and reflective question, and you're like, wait a minute, I thought by contract you had to wait till the end of the sermon for that. Well, sorry, I'm going to jump the gun on it, okay? So we're going to get started with this early today. Let me ask you this. When you stand before God someday and answer to God for the way that you lived, what will you say? You might say, well, I'm not planning on doing that. Well, here's the deal. Romans 14, 12 says, yes, everyone will give a personal account to God. So it's going to happen. The question is, what will you say? We've all been given one life, one life to live for the Lord. How are you doing it at stewarding that? I'm sure for all of us, there are moments that we are not the most proud of. We look back and say, yeah, that was, that was not my best. We, we all have that. Maybe for some you look and you say, you know, there's been struggles, but as a whole, the trajectory keeps kind of moving closer and closer to Jesus. That's awesome. Maybe for others you say, you know, I have been more serious about this in the past, but honestly, I'm just kind of treading water spiritually right now. I'm not really, not really uh, going under, but I'm not exactly moving forward in faith either. Or maybe for you, you say, honestly, I'm, I'm kind of backsliding. I've kind of fallen off the wagon here. I'm um, yeah, I'm just not taking this as seriously as I used to. Well, friend, wherever you're at on that continuum, I want you to know that I'm so thankful that you're here today. I believe that it's no accident that you are. I believe that the Lord has brought us together here, and I believe that God loves you, and God wants you to know personally how much he loves you, how much he cares about you, how much he wants a relationship with you. So, James is going to be real direct with us about this stuff because he wants us to know Jesus and to be able to live that out. And he's going to start off with an illustration about kind of quarreling and, and coveting, but it's really talking at a deeper level. It's talking about how our lives as followers of Jesus should look different than the way the rest of the world looks. James 4 verse 1. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask, you don't get it because your motives are wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure. So again, worldly living versus godly living. This is what James is talking about, and he shows it with conflict, right? That uh, we're all going to have it as long as you're a sinner living around other sinners in a fallen sinful world. There's going to be some conflict. There's going to be some strife. Uh, and so James is challenging us to live out, whether it's conflict or anything else, anything else, to live this out in a godly way. See, Christians are called to be a people who live in a way that is counter-cultural. That means we don't just follow the ways of the world, we live the way that God calls us to live. 
And it doesn't mean we're like angry or judgmental or mean toward the world. No, no, our job is to be, as Jesus said, to be a light, to be like a city set on a hill, a light in the darkness, so that others can see how good God is. The Bible says that they would see our good works and glorify not us, but glorify our Father God who is in heaven. So this is our call that that the Lord gives us. Now, as human beings, we're all created to to have um, someone like in the center of our lives, someone on the throne of our lives. And of course, as followers of Jesus, we know that should be Jesus Christ. But the fact is, we easily substitute many other things or other persons. And and we know what your priorities are because your true priorities are demonstrated by your actions, not your words. In other words, talk is cheap. We can all talk about our priorities. It's our actual actions that show what these priorities are. For example, I could tell you that my number one priority in life is working out and getting really, really strong. And you would say, no, it's not. We see you. You're very average, okay? You're not super strong. You're just average, okay? That just is what it is. If that's your top priority, well, you're not doing it right, okay? Because the proof's in the pudding, right? Your true priorities are demonstrated by your actions, not by your words, we can get real, real tangible about this. Let's say that, let's say you've been driving your car for a while, right? And it's a, it's a car you love, and you've had it for a while. It's all paid off and all this good stuff. And uh, unfortunately, one day, it develops a serious mechanical problem. You take it in, and they say, look, we, we could fix this, but honestly, it's not worth it. It's got like five more problems that are ready to happen. This is going to become a money pit for you pretty soon. Well, that's a bummer because you like the car, but you've, you've been saving and you were planning to continue saving for a while to buy the next car. And you, you, know, you go to the dealership and the fact is car prices have gone up like everything else, right? There's shortages and chip shortages and all these problems, right? So you go there and you see the car that like you can afford with what you've saved up, right? And it's a solid car, but then you see that other car, right? And it's awesome. It's like, it's the one you wanted to save for. You needed a little more time to get there, but your car died too soon. And of course, like any good car dealer, they say, hey, no problem. We can get you into that car, right? Here's what it'll take. Here's a loan that we could give you, right? And you could borrow this, and here's your monthly payment. Now, you look at it, and you look and say, you know, funny, that's like pretty much the same as what I give away to the Lord every month, right? So I could, I could have the nice car, right? I just, I'm just going to have to not be generous with my finances for a while. Now, don't go out of here and look at somebody with a nicer car and be like, yep, that's who John was talking about. <laughs> it's not about cars. It's about priorities, right? And and it's, it's about generosity, right? And, and so in that situation, my priorities are going to be shown by my actions, 
And if what I can afford is here and still be generous, well, I better buy that car, right? Because if my true priority is putting Jesus number one, well, generosity is part of that. It's part of that. Not the only thing, but it's part of that. That's just a a simple illustration. Stephen Covey says it this way. He was talking about time management when he said, the key is not to prioritize what's on your schedule. The key is to schedule your priorities. In other words, what really matters? Put those on there first. Put the central things on there first. It's not a matter of saying, well, I'm, I'm so busy with all this other stuff, I just can't do the important things. No, if it's important, put it there first and let that be central to you. We see our priorities in the way we spend our time, the way we spend our money, the way we invest our lives. Maybe you've seen that classic illustration of the jar, right? That We've got an image of it here. You've got on the left, you've got a jar that's not over the top, right? But on the right, there's one that there's rocks sticking out the top of this thing. The fact is they both had the same amount of stuff in them. The difference is the jar on the left, we put the big rocks in first the big priorities, and then we poured in all the little stuff, the the sand beside it. The jar on the right, we put in all the little stuff first, and then we put in the big priorities. And they simply don't fit. They simply don't fit. Because if you want to accomplish significant things in life, you've got to put those things at first. It's just like if you're scheduling your day, right? You know, you can, if you want to prioritize TV watching, well, okay, you schedule when you're going to do all that, and you see if you get anything else done. And guess what? You won't get anything else done, right? You, you've got to put the important things first, and then let the TV watching or whatever it is fall in after that. The same is true in our relationship with the Lord. Now, talking about rocks or TV or whatever, these are cute little illustrations, and they may cause us to miss the significance of this. James, he doesn't pull any punches with this. If we're living for the world, if we're putting worldly priorities first and not putting the, world, not putting the Lord's priorities first, here's what James says, verse 4. You adulterers, Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I'll say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. James isn't pulling any punches. In fact, here it is in the message translation. He says this, you're cheating on God. If all you want is your own way, flirting with the world every chance you get, you end up as enemies of God and his way. And do you suppose God doesn't care? The proverb has it that he is a fiercely jealous lover. And what he gives in love is far better than anything else you'll find. It's common knowledge that God goes against the willful proud. God gives grace to the willing humble. (laughs) Cheating on God. You ever thought of it like that? We don't usually think of it in that way. We, we, We tend to think, oh God, he's he's fine, right? You know, uh God's 
he's got like lots of people and lots of stuff and galaxies we don't even know about, right? So, so God's, God's good. If I don't really give attention to God, if I don't really spend time with him, if I don't really prioritize his stuff, it's all right because God's got plenty of other things to entertain himself with, right? He's God. The problem with that is that that line of thinking does not understand, in fact, it devalues the way that God looks at you. God loves you more than anybody else in this world ever will. God loves you. God cares about you. Your time, your talent, your energies, your gifts, all these things are gifts of God to you. God is jealous for your time. Sure, God's got the whole world, but he cares very directly about you. About you. You may have come here today thinking your life doesn't matter much. People may have told you your life doesn't matter much. You may have believed these lies for years and even decades in your life. Friend, it's not true. It says that he's a fiercely jealous lover. That God cares so much. He wants your time. He wants your energy. He wants you. This is how much you matter to God. Please don't don't ever devalue that. Don't, don't ever minimize that. Don't, don't ever misunderstand and think that, that your life doesn't matter to God because it absolutely does. See, James, he was writing to a group of people who, they were a church. They knew who God was. Some of them may have even seen the resurrected Jesus. Like when James would talk about Jesus, they're like, yep, seen him, knew, know him, talked to him, shook his hand once. Like they, they, they knew who he is. But yet, they're struggling with the same thing that we are. And it's easy, friends, it's easy to have experienced Jesus at some time in our life and to slowly but surely get off track to let this become less and less and less of a priority in our lives. It's not, maybe an illustration would be, um, I don't know a lot about medicine, honestly, so I'll get a little out of my depth here, but I know that at least classically, a vaccine is something where they would give you a little bit, a little bit of a disease, right, in order to help your body fight off that, learn to fight it off, and in order to, uh, thus, when you encountered the real big disease in real life, you would have these immunities built up, right? Well, maybe, maybe for some of us, we've done that with Jesus. That we've encountered Jesus, we, we know the stuff, we've heard enough sermons, we've sang enough songs, we, this kind of stuff, that it's really easy to get in here and get on autopilot. To not really pay that much attention, to just kind of float on through it, to when decision comes for priorities in our lives, honestly, we look mostly like the world does. That if you look at your decisions last week, if we just lined them all up, how many of them are different because you're a follower of Jesus? How many of them did you say, well, if I didn't know Jesus, I would have done this, but I do, so instead I did that? if not many of them are different, then you may have kind of vaccinated yourself a little bit against this Jesus stuff. 
you may have gotten good at just kind of hearing and be like, yeah, you know what, not that big of a deal. That's not how God looks at it. That's not how God looks at you at all. God loves you, cares about you, wants to know you, wants a relationship with you, wants to change your life. So what do we do about it? Verse 7. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's great news. Come close to God, and he will come close to you. That's even better news. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter, gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. James takes this seriously. He says that maybe for us, maybe the right position is one of some sadness. And don't misunderstand. He's not talking about shame. He's not talking about beating you up while you're down. But he's talking about taking this so seriously that we say, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the ways that my life isn't living up to your standards. I'm sorry for when my life looks really just like the rest of the world instead of like what you call me to. It's that godly sorrow, the Bible says, that leads us to repentance, that leads us to change, that leads us to freedom, in fact. So that's why we humble ourselves before the Lord. Why? Because then he will lift us up in a place of honor. That's completely opposite to the way the rest of the world lives. The world lives to to puff themselves up, to tell everybody how great I am. (laughs) Nope. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he, and he will lift you up in honor. For then, my friend, you'll be honored for things that truly matter. You'll be honored for things that are real, the things that are life-changing, not just here, but throughout all of eternity. That's the kind of honor we want to have. That's the kind of call that we want to have. So how do we do it? Well, James gives us just a few tangible ways here. How to li- here's how we live a life that God rewards. First of all, we draw near to God. You're doing that right now. You're right here. We're drawing near to the Lord together, so that's awesome. Whether you chose this or whether, well, whether somebody chose it for you, I'm just glad you're here. I'm glad that you're taking some time to intentionally draw near to God. We do this through public worship. We do this through our daily devotions, through reading the Bible together, through reading the Bible on our own. Uh, through our life groups, through our Bible studies, through disciple Bible study, or so many other groups that we have. These are ways we draw near, we draw closer to God. The second thing we do is we submit ourselves daily to God. Daily. What if, what if when you woke up in the morning, you made it a, a habit to make your first statement say, Jesus I want you to be Lord today. I want you to be number one. What if you, you know, you could write it down, Jesus is Lord, and stick it on your bathroom mirror or on your coffee pot if you're particularly crabby first thing. That works too, whatever whatever gets you there. Or you set a reminder on your phone to go off right soon after you'd wake up. How would that change you? 
How would that change the way we lived if we were reminded each day, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord. So I have a feeling that if we did that, that when we came to a decision and there was a way the world would decide versus a way that the Lord would decide, I think we'd be more apt to choose his way because we just reminded ourselves that morning that Jesus is Lord. I want him to be Lord. I want him to be leader. Next, we resist the devil. We can do this not because of our strength, but because of God's strength that living within us through the power of the Holy Spirit, we resist the devil. The Bible promises us that any temptation that we face, we can say no to it by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can. It's possible. And fourth, we get clean. This is repentance. We take a a spiritual bath every day. What if we ended our day this way? What if we said, God, are are there ways that today I I fell short? I, I didn't live up to what you called me to. Would you just show me these things? And we confess these things to the Lord. It's good to confess our sins because the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's everything. That's all our sins. You may say, well, what about those really bad ones? Yep, Jesus, he went to the cross. He paid for those too so we can be forgiven from all of them. The Bible says that he removes our sins as from us as far as the east is from the west. That's pretty incredible. That's what God does for you and for me. So we're going to do something as we wrap up this series this morning. The, the team that plans this and I, we, we, we pray about this stuff, and we felt God leading us to this today. And honestly, it, it might stretch you out of your comfort zone a little bit, but that's okay. You can do it. I know. I, how do I know? Because the 830 service did. They did it awesome. So you, you're, you're not going to let them. You're not going to let them beat you, right? That, that would be nonsense. What we did is we took some time, a few minutes, to get in small groups. Maybe you're here with your family. That would be great. Get with your family. We're going to pray together. Or maybe you came here by yourself. That's okay. Just jump in with another group. They'll, they'll be happy to have you. Maybe you're here with some friends. You could pray with them too. But we're gonna, I want you to ask this, this one question. What do you need to live a life that God rewards for you? What's something that you need in your life to live a life that God rewards? Go around, just share that thing. And then would you pray for each other? And I'm gonna challenge you to pray out loud. Prayer is not like big fancy words. It's not, it's pretty simple. But if you're here and you're like, I may have a panic attack if I pray out loud, okay, pray silently. That works too. God hears. It's just, it's beneficial when we do it out loud because then others can hear too. But would you, uh, I'm going to pray real briefly, and then I'm going to invite you to do this, to gather in groups of maybe two or three or four, um, and just pray for each other around this. While you do it, I'm going to walk around the room, and I'm just going to pray just for our church as a whole, okay? So Holy Spirit, come. Would you fall upon us as we seek you, as we pray to you? Lord, I believe in the power of prayer. I believe that prayer changes lives. And I pray that you would do that work right here and now in our midst. Lord, we love you. And we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.